Let's open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We'll do half of it this week, and um, uh, next week we'll do the rest of the chapter. <coughs> Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 17. A little background before we get into the study. On Paul's second missionary journey, he left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. He didn't stay. He was just passing through. However, on Paul's third missionary journey, he stayed in Ephesus for three years and was responsible for starting a lot of the churches um, in that general area. When you read the book of Revelation, there are seven churches, and they were probably all part of a result of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. On Paul's, uh, when he wrote the letter during his first Roman imprisonment, which be 60 to 61 AD, Paul was in prison, and that's where he wrote the letter. Uh, There are two divisions in the book to the Ephesians, chapter one through three, and it deals with um, uh, their doctrinal position, the gifts that they have. But in chapters four through six, where we find ourselves this morning, he now gets into the conduct and the attitude that you should be exercising these gifts that you have. What's, what's your motive? What's your attitude? And we find, as we look at the first two vo- verses, exactly what that is to be. He says, therefore, um, well, whenever there's a therefore, we say, what's it there for? <laughs> so why don't we just back up a couple verses as we end chapter four. Uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. Therefore, be followers of God as dear children and walk in love. The title of the morning's message is Walk in Love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself uh, for us an offering and a sacrifice to God uh, for a sweet-smelling aroma. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and carrying on in this same vein, this walking in love. In chapter 4, beginning with verse 9, he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase even more and more. Uh, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside 
and that you may lack nothing. In other words, people are watching your walk, how you handle situations, how you handle difficulties. Um, Get all troubled and bent out of shape, or in the back of your head you are, well, what's going on here? All I know for sure is God says he works everything out for my good. So now you've got a choice to make. You can get caught up emotionally in the trial that you're going through or stand on, which is emotional feelings, which we're told to walk by faith and not by sight. Or what does the word say? Well, I don't know what's going on right now, but God promised he's going to work it out to good somehow, some way. So Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, um, concerning brotherly love, you don't need that I should have to write to you. Uh, you're taught by the Lord himself about this. Paul sound practical advice in these verses of just walking in love. Now, if you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians, and um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we read in, uh, back in chapter 5 that it says that we're a sacrifice to God of a sweet-smelling aroma. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, picking it up in verse 14, we read, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the ones we are the aroma of death and to the other an aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Um, this, is, this scripture always really stood out to me. Who's sufficient for these things? The work that we do as believers, um, we often find ourselves saying, I'm not sufficient to do this, and you're absolutely right. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Uh, who's sufficient for us? Every good and perfect gift comes from where? Up there, not here. <laughs> So it's a sweet thing to the Lord, this fragrance, as people observe our lives. I like what he goes on and says, for we are not as so many um, peddling the word of God. How many TV evangelists are up there peddling? Uh, They're peddling for your money. Send in your prayer request to me and uh, we'll pray over the... Hanky, just send a little offering with it and we'll send it back to you. And, and it gets pretty extreme at times, the length that um, some churches go to uh, peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. So what he is saying in verses one and two of Ephesians five, walk in love 
and let it be a sweet thing. Um, let it be the fragrance of the Lord. And um, in other words, being and acting the way Jesus acted. Uh, yesterday at men's prayer, we started, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we started the Gospel of Mark. And a leper came to him, and the leper asked Jesus uh, if he would heal him. Now, leprosy in those days was not cool. You had to keep your distance from people. If you were a leper, from a distance you would have to say, unclean, unclean. And Jesus is going by, and the leper asked Jesus, probably from a distance, if he would heal him. And the Lord lays his hand on the man. And the verse before it in verse 41 says, and Jesus was moved with compassion for this man. That's the Jesus style. That's his temperament. Uh, The Bible says if we have it within our means to help somebody and we don't help somebody, then the Bible says, how does the love of God dwell in you? That's what God is all about. He sees the need, he has compassion, and he meets it. Will you heal me? Yeah. He had compassion on the man, touched him, and he healed him. But he said, just don't tell anybody about it. And so what do you suppose he does? He goes out and tells everybody. (laughs) I mean, same thing with the blind man when he healed one of the blind men. Don't tell anybody. And we actually find out why in Mark. Because... The people, when they heard about Jesus and anybody that got near him that was sick, they would be healed. And he actually told them, don't tell the multitudes because they will press in on me. So the message was spread far and wide that there's this guy from Galilee that's a sweet fragrance wherever he goes and he has compassion. And likewise, so should we as we walk in love. Well, we can't talk about love without going to 1 Corinthians 13, right? So let's um, flip over to 1 Corinthians 13. The importance of love and doing it the right way rather than peddling. Verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mystery and knowledge. And though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. You can have all these works, but all for the wrong motive. I've often wondered this is in my notes. It's just sticking in the back of my head. Um, um, here's a person evidently that has these gifts and um, using them, but it was probably for self-gratification and um, wanting the glory. I have this gift. Watch this. And... In 1 Corinthians 3, 
we have what we call the Bema Seat Judgment, or the Judgment Seat of Christ. And it says that uh, everyone will be judged by the things that they did in the Lord. Um, in other places it says all good work, all things are gonna be judged, the good and the bad. Well, I read that chapter and um, I'm thinking, I'm gonna be judged for what I was bad, but the Bible says that I will never be put to shame. How do you reconcile the two? Because if something is exposed that you did bad that Jesus died for, that is putting you to shame. So what is it then? I believe it's the motive behind the action. In other words, why you do what you do. Are you so in love with Jesus? Like Paul said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me? Well, what does that mean? Well, that's my motive. The love of Christ constrains me. I do what I do because I love Jesus. That's simple. Evidently, when it comes to the judgment, and um, um, there's different um, measures of rewards in heaven, I imagine Paul's uh, basket of rewards is going to be pretty big. <laughs> I think the guy, the thief on the cross, he had no good works. He was a thief. Never went to church. Uh, never said the sinner's prayer. But he's in heaven right now. But his reward bag is empty because <laughs> he had no good works. So when we're told here that um, um, you can have all these gifts, move mountains, but if love is not the motivating factor behind it, I am nothing. So that's verses one and two. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and starve and I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. You mean you could be burned at the stake for being a martyr and um, not having it acknowledged? Evidently so. Uh, The scripture says that someday people are gonna come up to him that are not saved and they're gonna say, but Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this and this and this and this? And he's going to tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. Who are you? Well, I went around doing all this good stuff. (laughs) And he says, yeah, but you did it for you. I don't know you. And he told that person to depart. Now in um, verses three through 13, um, we have more of a definition of just what the agape love is. First of all, it suffers long and is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself. I call that peddling. It's not puffed up. I would call that being cocky. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love 
never fails. And then he contrasts it with the but, the next verse. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. A very controversial scripture. Because those who claim that the gift of tongues ceased to exist after um, we got the Bible, they claim now that we have, when that which is perfect has come, uh, they believe that's referring to the Bible. And if their argument is true that when we have the Bible, that the gift of tongues would cease to exist, well, then you'd also have to infer that knowledge would vanish away. Knowledge hasn't vanished away, but it's in the same sentence. So when we get to this verse, for now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. The one that is perfect when he comes, I put he there because I believe it's a reference to the Lord. And um, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now we look in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. And the greatest of these in love. Little sidetrack here. When all is said and done, that's what remains. Faith, hope, and love. And now more than ever, and what's happening, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. I totally believe we're going to have a complete financial collapse in our economy before this year is over. Just my opinion, my assessment as I see it happening in Europe right now. Um, And very, very possibly war of the worst kind. And um, we should not be surprised by that because Jesus said the nation that the generation that sees him come back again will see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. And then he goes on to tell us what it's going to be like. Um, Famines, earthquakes, pestilence, wars, rumors of wars. So chapter 13 is known as the love chapter and um, how we're to exercise uh, that particular gift. Turn with me to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's look at verses um, 9, because here it tells us, um, when we get to, um, well, keep keep your fingers there, I'm going to go read something. Back in Ephesians verses three through seven, he says, but fornication and all uncleanness of covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it's not fitting for saints. 
neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not partake with them. And that simply means don't associate or hang them being the crowd that you would uh, deal with. But I want to deal with the subject of um, the works of the flesh here, and I find it also in 1 Corinthians 6, and it says the same thing um, about do not be deceived. Deceived about what? Well, we read here, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicator, nor idolater, nor adulteresses, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivals, rivals, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, Pastors in Canada... Um, are getting removed from their pulpit for reading what I just read, and in some churches, to speak out against homosexuality and actually call them call it, uh, sodomites. Um, um, there's a small minority that will have the courage from the pulpit to get up to say, "Don't be deceived. If you guys are involved in these things, you're not going to heaven." Period. Now, the difference between a fornicator and an adulterer is fornication is sex outside of marriage. Adultery is having one of uh, a, a party that's married but is cheating on her husband or cheating on his wife. That's the difference between the two. We live in a generation that is so immoral I actually believe that we deserve judgment. I go back to what Billy Graham had to say on this issue. If God doesn't judge the United States of America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And we have become Sodom, and we have become Gomorrah. Even in the pulpits, they're endorsing these things as... um, their motive could be to get more people to come to church to claim, hey, we're open-minded. No, we're not. <laughs> we're very narrow-minded. Broad is a gate that leads to destruction, and many be that find it. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few be that find it. You need to wrap your heads around the fact, guys, that... Um, Um, you are in a minority and don't you dare compromise because you're compromising by giving um, a thumbs up to any transgender or any part of the gay movement saying well that's just part of our society is the most hateful thing you could ever say to that person the most loving thing you could say to them 
is you know the Lord really does love you. But what you're involved with, the consequences are eternal. I believe the Bible and I believe that there's a heaven and there's a hell and the most loving thing I can tell you is you need to repent of your morality that you're in right now. And uh, what really bothers me, and I can get sidetracked with this, is how young they're teaching this to our kids. And uh, I don't know, and I'm gonna probably offend some people, I don't know how some people can send their kids to the public schools. Because what they're being taught, they have to be untaught when they get home and they're confused and they don't know what to do. And they, everybody's talking about it and they're, it's a part of, the, of what they're growing up with. So these are firm words. Um, I talk to people after being here 40 plus years. I can't tell you how many couples have come to church, not married, living together. And they'd come in happy. They'd leave the church bummed out because of what I just said. And so they would either come for two, three weeks and never come back again, or after two or three weeks, they'd end up in my office. And then usually when they come in my office, it was like this. <sighs> Got to go talk to Dwight about our living situation. And they come dim, and they're all doom and gloom. And... and um, I usually tell them something like this. They said, well, we've been coming to church and coming in happy and leaving sad. And I say, why? And they said, because we're not married and we're living together. And I said, but we have to because we can't afford to do it any other way. And I said, well, then I have to tell you this verse right here. You're not going to heaven. No, no, we love the Lord. You don't understand. I said, no, you don't understand. If you, if you think or feel one way, and the Bible says something else. What do we always say around here? You're wrong, and the Bible's right. Deal with it. And that's the most loving thing that you can say to a couple. But I said, I tell you what, how would you like to leave the office today with a, um, a skip in your step and whistling all the way down the stairs? Yeah, well, how do we do that? Well, you go down to the courthouse, and you go before a judge, He'll charge you 150 bucks and he'll marry you within a week. And you'll have a clear conscience and then you come back and, uh, but in the meantime, you're not living in the same house together. I had one couple, this is about 20 years ago. They were living together for 20 years. And they heard one of these Bible studies and they came up and um, I told them I said, you guys have been living together for 20 years, didn't come, and they got convicted, so they figured they had to talk it out with me. And I said, well, this is what you need to do. Go down to the courthouse, make it legal, and, um, and then we'll have a full-on wedding here at Calvary with a bride and best man and girls in their dresses because every woman wants her wedding day. And now we'll do that. But for right now, you have to have your conscience cleared because you're going to hell right now instead of heaven. You're deceived. And in the meantime, and this is the reason I'm telling the story, you can't, I looked at the guy and I said, you can't live in that house until you're married. 
And I said, "Um, go live with a friend. So you know what he does? He goes home and he talks to his parents. And he says, "Uh, mom and dad, um, um, can I move back in? Something wrong with marriage? No. You've been living together for 20 years. (laughs) And the the parents were just blown away that he's coming asking permission after living together for 20 years. And they weren't born again. He thought it was funny. And they just couldn't figure out at all. These are one of the things where um, the next verse it says, Unless we think, um, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not one of those. Well, you were at one time. It says in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I'm no different than, than these ex-heathens because I am an ex-heathen. And... Um, The only difference is that I accepted Jesus and he forgave my sins and he took all my sin upon himself and I'm free and I'm not deceived anymore. All right, Um, let's turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verses 23 to 28 is in Ephesus. We'll pick it up at verse 23. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. Um, The way was the first name for Christians. Before they were called Christians, they were called the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana brought no small profit to his craftsmen. In other words, they made a lot of money out of making images of of Diana. And he called together with the workers of similar occupation, uh, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, But throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed whom all Asia and all the world worship. And when they heard this, full of wrath, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater. I actually put a picture of the theater on the screen a while back. Uh, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus and Macedonium, uh, Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. 
Some therefore cried one thing, some another, uh, for the assembly was confused, and most of them didn't even know why they were there. And they drew near Alexandra out, out of the multitude, uh, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexandria motioned with his hands and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, with one voice cried out about two hours. Now, I just want to let that sit in. Two hours straight, they're saying one thing. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, how would you like me to stand up here for the next two hours and say, great is Diana of the Ephesians? Well, that's what they did. And when the city clerk heard about it, he said, men of Ephesus, what manner is this that you do not know the city of the great Ephesians is a temple guardian of the great goddess Diana of the image which fell down from heaven? So I've been to Ephesus several times. This is what they were making. And this is a model. She's a goddess of fertility. And so my point, as Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he's warning them about their immorality, well, Ephesus was the place. This is where the temple of Diana was, the goddess of uh, uh, fertility. And there's a multi-breasted statue. I don't know if this was the actual size. And um, this is what all the uproar was about and um, I go there because this is one of the things that I wanted to point out is just how we would call it the Las Vegas of today that's what Vegas is known for well that's what Ephesus was known for and um, worshiping the goddess of uh, fertility all right let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5 Verses 8 through 12. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all godliness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them it's one thing to be a a part of them it's a whole other thing to to say to a friend at work who everybody knows uh, he's a homosexual or a lesbian it's one thing to stay away from them it's another thing to actually expose them and say you know the danger you're in you're playing Russian roulette with your soul and uh, that would, what it means here, not only don't you hang with them, but you actually expose them. And that's what we're doing right now. We're saying the, the penalty for living this lifestyle is eternal, and you will go to hell. Hard thing to say. But what I just said is true. But I didn't say it. The book that you're holding in your hands says it. So don't go around saying, well, Pastor Dwight said No. Pastor Dwight did not say. People often come in the office and they'll have a question. And they say, would you give me your opinion on this? And I say, no. (laughs) You don't want my opinion. What you want to know is what the Bible says about whatever situation you're in. 
That I could help you with. But I'm out of the equation. I'm just an instrument. We sang that song this morning. Lord, make me an instrument. And that's all we are. And um, any other way, and we're peddling and trying to draw attention to ourselves. So, uh, for verse 11, for it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done in secret. Paul was telling them they grew up in Ephesus, the Vegas of their time, now as believers, you don't do those things anymore. No matter how many people in Ephesus do. Verse 11 says, don't hang out with them. Well, you, you have to hang out with some of them if you work with some of them. But it's talking about your friends that you want to be associated with and hang with. Um, so we hang with uh, the people that we love and we don't hang with our old, I lost all my friends when I got saved. Um, but one by one, they started getting saved. So moving on, 13 through 17, we read back in Ephesians, um, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Question, are the days evil? So we should redeeming the time because we don't know how much time we have. And it tells us to fellowship all the more as we see the day approaching, not less and less. Therefore, last verse, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk circumspectly, walk in love. So what is the will of the Lord? It tells us here, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Well, here it is. Walk in love. That's God's will for you. But here's the irony of the church of Ephesus. And we'll close with this. Turn with me to Revelation chapter three. The first letter is to the church of Ephesus. The irony of the church of Ephesus and Paul writing to them about make sure that love is the number one priority, well, they got it. And they did it. Well, for a while. To those, verse one, to those of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patient, you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who are, say they are apostles that are not, and you found them liars. You have persevered, you have patience, you've labored for my name's sake, and um, have not become weary in doing well. And so they got it. 
But then it says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you because you've left your first love. If you left it, it means you had it at one time. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus from Rome in 60 or 61 AD. And he writes the book of Revelation, John does, not Paul, in 96 AD. So for 35 years, we don't know how long they kept the love. But somewhere along the line, they got caught up in all the works and they left off leaving their first love. And the Lord does not mince words here at all. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left it, your first love. They didn't lose it because they had it. They left it. They had it at one time. When did they have it? Well, that's what Paul, Ephesians chapter five is all about, walking in love. Don't stop doing that. The works will come naturally. Divine appointments will happen naturally. Had a divine appointment yesterday. Um, just thought I'd go out and blow some leaves around and got talking to a neighbor and and ended up being a divine appointment. I'll just leave, leave it at that. And um, as, we, as we close this up this morning, here's a church that for somewhere along this 35 years of time from the time he wrote to the Ephesians, and by the time Jesus rebukes them, he says, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Whoa, what does that mean? Well, what do you think it means? I'll let you answer that question in your own. I know what I think it means. And um, so what's our job today as we close this up? Walk in love. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that Mary Bloomer, when she got up, and um, she had written this up several weeks ago, and she gave me a copy. And um, she starts out her little letter by saying, um, Pastor Dwight's been encouraging us to love on one another. And she didn't know that this was gonna be the Bible study this morning at the time. She knew later. But um, so what's our job today? Walk in love. Be a sweet smelling aroma that people will actually be interested that you come across in such a way instead of turning them away, they are drawn to you. What it is, what is it that you got? Uh, You're not freaking out over this thing. You seem to have peace about it and most people wouldn't. What's up? And if you can get them to start asking questions, that's a good place to start. And I'll close with this. Um, There's an old song uh, with this chorus. <clears throat> and um, I was talking to Eric about it yesterday, and I came in, he's getting ready to do songs for Sunday morning, and I come in singing, 
And they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. But the thing is, the only thing that in the Catholic Church. <laughs> and I know that half of you would be coming up to be after the service today if I had Eric close with, they will know we are Christians. I, I, I said the song fits, and Eric says, I'll do it if you want me to. I said, no, because Mary will be on my back all next week if I do. (laughs) And she'll attest that to be true. But it's appropriate. It's true. We are to be known that we're Christians because of the love that we have for one another. Amen? Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning and Paul's practical admonition Um, to walk in love. Uh, The works will follow, and um, we just are grateful, Lord, that um, you loved us so much that you died for us. And so help us uh, love one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.